I think that that's no. I mean, you're, you're, that's that's actually super interesting to think about it from that perspective. And actually, I, I hope that our sales team is listening because you may have just found a budget line item for DPE, which is really hard to find. Uh, so. <laughs> everybody. Welcome to the first podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Clarissa. And we're the Control Freaks. And so this is probably a bit of a rough intro since like we thought about practicing one, but we said, let's just get going because we got an awesome individual here today. Uh, so quickly, I want to introduce Justin. So Justin Riach, uh, a lead thinker in the developer productivity engineering movement. Now, some of you are asking, well, we'll call it DPE. Why DPE when we're talking about auditing with agility and governance engineering? Well, it's very key in my opinion. And like, I have this big professional crush on Justin and a lot of the stuff he talks about. Because what I love about DPE, and I'm going to let him chat here in a second, because as you all know, I can be, be endless in my words, is that it's really about, in, it's about measuring the engineering productivity of the development team, not some of them, uh, what I'll colloquially, colloquially, I can't pronounce that, say as like some of the platform engineering uh, uh, mist, mistakes. So with that being said, Justin, welcome. Bill, thanks so much. You know, I uh, I love talking with you, and and, and nice to meet you, Clister. Thanks everybody for for being here on the on the inaugural episode. By the way, very exciting. I I am honored to uh, to be around for that. Yeah. So DBE, I think what was so appealing to me. So my my background is in software development, like like a lot of folks that have sort of gravitated towards this practice. Um, and I think that's because we can empathize with a lot of the pains that are sort of addressed directly by DBE, and these are like endemic pains that I think are so painful that we've forgotten that they're pains. You know, these are things like build duration, test cycle duration, test flakiness, avoidable failures, infrastructure failures, and things like this, which when you start talking about them, developers just knowingly nod, yes, that's my life. Yes, that is bad. But no one's ever actually piped up and said, well, maybe we could do something about that. Uh, and so what I like about DPE is it says, yes, maybe we can do something about this. But it starts with the observation. Now, pre-show, we were talking a little bit about our mutual love for value stream management VSM practice, right? Um, and what I like about DPE is that it takes a very similar philosophy. Let's see where we're at. Let's observe the internal value stream of the local experience of a developer writing code at their laptop and interacting with CI. Let's, let's map that part of the value stream by using the fact, exploiting the fact that we own the build tool. So we're closer to that experience than any other piece of software. So where other, other software like CI, for instance, is maybe a little blind to what's happening at the local experience, a build tool is not, right? And it also understands what's going on in CI. So being able to gather that data, again, build duration, test cycle duration, test flakiness, avoidable failures, this kind of thing, allows us to paint a picture of the developer portion of the value stream, easily identify the bottlenecks and, and impediments to productivity, and then apply, and this is where the engineering word comes in, apply a reasonable technology solution to fix that part of the developer's tool chain. If you will forgive a really bad uh, like metaphor that, that actually just works, right? But it's terrible. I need to come up with a better one. Where traditional productivity management might focus on the driver of a car, DPE focuses on the car, the road that car is driving on, the conditions of the air, the weather, the friction, all of these components that are necessary to the driver, but that aren't actually in the brain of that driver. 
Justin, that is really helpful because I, I'm on the audit, the GRC risk management side. And when uh, Bill brought the proposal to, to have you on the show, I was like, I have no idea what developer productivity engineering is. So that analogy, I know you said it was um, tired and old, but it helps uh, for those of us who aren't quite as familiar with it. That's why I can't quit it. I want to make a, right off the bat, I'm like going to make a political statement. You talked about the value stream and you did not use the word software supply chain <laughs> when people talk about the build. And so Clarissa's probably like, okay, I don't know what's going on. And recently I was going to write about this where if you look up the like the Wikipedia definition of software supply chain, it's, the, it's this continuous integration and deployment tool chain is what people are talking about. But Justin, I love how you stated around, around the value stream and looking at from the value stream perspective, because my background is actually formal logistics and operations. And the supply chain is the exchange of goods between different entities. Now what happens between your four walls is your value stream. How do you bring an input, add value, then to create output. Um, so like there, there's no really to go with that one i just wanted to say something like i pointed out the words you used and like the perspective you had on that one um i just wish the industry would adopt that more than the software supply chain because software supply chain is real it's just talking about a different concept of it, 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 there's a different area that it needs to be applied to but i take my say aside so like as you're looking at it as we get back to what you're talking about in the dpe one thing that you talk about the build the build the build build so the injection of value really in this value stream one of the parts of the injection is what we like the build system is where, where where this manifests and so as you talked about you talked about like testing build times also if there's errors you see that at build when we start to think about governance writ large um do you think that that's the proper place for something like this to happen as well or are there different areas in the value stream um around software development that this should happen now, I'm glad you are getting right into this, and uh, far be it for me to disrupt a multi-billion dollar industry, but I do think that the right place is in the build and not in CI, um, because if you think about any other type of supply chain, and more importantly, chain of custody, right, what's happening between that software artifact and the build on that developer's laptop, and then the push to CI or the move out to some artifact server, nobody knows. Nobody knows. Right? All these solutions that are here to do our salsa or our DAST or SAST or any of those things, they don't live in the build. Right? They either live in the dependency chain, which is related to the build, but it's still external to it, right? Or they live out in CI, right? Where where some of that other automation takes place because people want all this work to happen out on the cloud. But there's a massive blind spot. So I've I've actually had this discussion with uh, like Steve Chin from uh, JFrog and other folks who are, you know, part of the like the build, and we've talked about like, hey, there's there's a massive hole here that nobody's talking about, and we as as build system providers have probably a responsibility to do something about this. And as far as I can tell, like maybe Sonotype is really the only one who's kind of going down this path right now and thinking about it in terms of like, well, how about instead of reactively scanning things to see if we mess something up, how about we cut something off right at the point that we're pulling independencies in the first place? And we have all this cool new technology that we could use to validate that. Like, for instance, distributed ledger. Guess what? Blockchain is not just for NFTs and cryptocurrency, right? There's actually way cooler stuff we could do with it. And this is one possibility, is validating genuine source code by turning that source code into a token and putting it on a distributed ledger and validating it at the point that the dependency is downloaded. Justin, a couple of things you said there I want to kind of link back to because I think about how this fits in with the movement that Bill and I are are leading as well is 
these are going to be my words, not your words, but I'm, I translate things into audit talk. Um, so what you just talked about there, I see as proactive risk management. So you said mm -hmm. instead of scanning to find out where we where we have problems and then fixing it there, bringing it back to the beginning and preventing it from from being a problem in the first place. Bill, I think I think about that. I think about um, your talk at the DevOps Enterprise Summit this year of policy as code. That's kind of the point there is not waiting till something gets into production and then fixing it, but setting it up so that it doesn't get into production and cause problems. Um, just throwing in some connections as I see all of these things have a lot of benefits. And really, when you think about that, again, what I'm going to call proactive risk management, we can't, a lot of organizations can't afford to wait till it becomes a problem and then try to fix it and add that to their backlog of things to fix while they're still trying to do things. Um, this concept of being more proactive is is really what, what a lot of organizations need in this environment right now. So what do you hear there? Proactive risk management. So if for the, for the technicians listening here, the software engineers are going to listen today to this. If they wanted to co-op with their internal, their internal auditors and insurance, they basically, when they talk about DPE and say they're pitching this to an executive, proactive risk management, it's DPE to the tech engineers, but to the internal audit geeks, it's proactive risk management. So we're actually finding a bit of an overlap. And if we're talking about how we're doing it here, and maybe I'm like pulling this too far, but like, let's use the build process. Let's use the build point as a way to interject proactive risk management. Is that mm -hmm. yeah, like, I, I, I almost feel like I can bring two, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe those circles are already together, but like in my mind, like, hold on a second, there's this, this big overlap here um, where we can have, we now have this hook into the development process that brings in the rest of the organization beyond the developers. I, am I interpreting that correctly? Like either of you, like, am I wrong? I mean, what you no, think? I think that makes sense. And I think part of what, um, as organizations go through this and start, and I'm going to use use the term shifting it left. So we're really shifting that risk management management left and earlier in the process. Um, they're going to have to bring their auditors and their risk management and their GRC professionals along that journey with them. Because otherwise, here's what's going to happen is you're going to change the way you're doing things. The auditors are going to come in and say, okay, show me where you're scanning to fi find these things and fix these things. And you're like, well, we're not because you, you're doing it earlier, right? So you're preventing it before it happens. The auditors will come in and say, show me that you say we're not and then like well we're going to write up a finding for you um and that finding is going to say you need to scan for things but that's going to be duplicative so what uh we've we've talked about a, a couple bill and i've had a couple conversations on this but um where my movement is is more it's auditing with agility and it's bringing your auditors in um, not keeping them super siloed maintain that independence and objectivity but helping them really understand how you're managing risks how you're managing your business uh, so that they can provide assurance in those areas that make sense. So you don't want to know whether or not you're scanning. You already know you're not scanning. You want to know whether what you're doing up front in the, in the build process is doing what you want it to do and what you need it to do. And that's where your auditors can come in and help you and provide that assurance there. But you've got to bring them along. You've got to um, bring them in early and often. I think that that's no. I mean, you're, you're, that's that's actually super interesting to think about it from that perspective. And actually, I, I hope that our sales team is listening because you may have just found a budget line item for DPP, which is really hard to find. Uh, so, um, but uh, I, I think that the, you know the earlier part about this, the you know the idea that um, uh, that that this is effectively you know what you're calling sort of proactive risk management, you know, or the fact that we we catch this sort of earlier in the cycle. It also means that we could produce the type of artifact that somebody would be looking for 
like an SBOM, uh, software bill of materials or something like that, that, you know, that would be the, the, the currently like expected artifact to get created to show the auditors that everything's okay. Mm -hmm. There's no reason that that SBOM couldn't be created during the build as opposed to the result of a scan. It's the same data. It's, it's literally like, I, you know, the, the way that this whole thing works, right? Developers don't write nearly any of their own code anymore, right? When I came up in the olden days, it was like a big deal if you spent a weekend cranking out like 100,000 lines of code. Like that was a badge of courage. Now, anybody who would do that gets laughed at. You're like, why did you waste your time? Like we have all these open source libraries and frameworks and things that do all the things that you used to have to do by hand. Now you can just take them. Of course, the, the flip side to this is that we've now created a whole new attack vector. If somebody mm -hmm. can poison the well, we're really in trouble. Yep. But we could detect poison in the well at CI after we've already created our artifact, or we could detect the poison in the ingredients that we're putting into the artifact, but we can still list those ingredients at either stage. So I, I think you could produce something that an auditor is interested in seeing uh, just from a different source. The, the problem is, again, it would take all these build tool people to work together, and I've learned it's actually really hard to get them to do that. <laughs> so... And Justin, I think about it too, from a, it's not exact, it's not just what the auditors want to see. It's what you want to see too. So you want to know that oh, sure. you're not poisoning the well. So I, I, a lot of people um, want to do things because the auditors, they think the auditors will want to see this. I challenge people to think about it in a way of what do you want to know if you're accountable for this product or this process or this business, what do you need to feel good that the well isn't poisoned or you've identified the poison before you even put it in your well. Um, and then, yes, that, that should be what the auditors are looking for as well, but try to Bill, take the auditors out to, of it for a minute. I want you to jump in, Bill, because I, I sense you had a good, good, good point there, but, but the, the two things I want to point out, first of all, it may not be a choice. There, there is an interpretation of this white house executive mandate that software developers could actually be held personally liable, even as part of an LLC or other corporation for knowingly releasing exploitable code in a production release. They could be held personally liable under this mandate. So whether they care or not may, may be moot. They may have to care soon. Uh, but the second part is they really should care. Mm -hmm. I had this conversation. Um, I brought up Sonatype earlier. I'm a big fan of, of, of their tech still. And Steve Poole is their lead advocate. And we have had some great conversations. And one of the things that we talked about actually on the Bootiful podcast, on Josh Long's podcast, uh, was the fact that um, it's a great name, beautiful podcast. Uh, the, uh, the third largest GDP in the world, and this is a little sobering, is currently the de decentralized network of cyber criminals. It is estimated at about a $7 trillion collective GDP in terms of money gotten from malware, scams, and identity theft, ransomware, and all these other attack vectors. It's growing somewhere between a 40 to 50% click year over year. Which means that by 2026, I think is what Steve said, I can't do math, I'm an American engineer, but we are set to have the globally distributed network of cyber criminals with more purchasing power than the US. Wow. So the largest GDP in the world is on track to be the decentralized network of cyber criminals. Um, so it makes me question whether I'm in the wrong team. <laughs> Just kidding. But... Uh, we should care about this because yes. these are not these are not like you know cool fun little geeks like 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 rocking out in their mom's basement or something. I mean, we're talking about drug cartels. We're talking about terrorist organizations. You know, we're talking about organized criminal organizations that are using the internet and other means of cyber criminals to fund their operations. So, you know, it, it is a staggering statistic. 
but then also these are not like harmless 12 year olds we're talking about some of the worst examples of humanity profiting off of this and now set to become the largest gdp in the world that's uh, th that right there would you say that that's nuts and astonishing and i like this is the first time i hear that and like it, it doesn't surprise me I'm, I'm i'm talking and thinking at the same time so there's a lot of stuttering that's going to happen but that's why we get along so. <laughs> <laughs> you 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 said one thing that you said is really making me think here and like chris this would be interesting too and when i think about audit and assurance and we'll go about the insure versus usher here in a second because like i always talk about this ever since clarissa ed educated me on insurance e not the drink but to insure versus to <laughs> usher but put that aside for a second um engineering like software engineering was a term that was termed was a 6867 by margaret uh what was margaret's last name i think that was her it was one of the women that were working on the apollo and wow. they used the term software engineering she did as a way to level up what the at that time the software developers were doing um with the proper engineers when i say proper engineers these are people like if you think about the the pe the professional engineering um certification you gotta, you gotta go to a certified school you gotta take a test what's interesting and in what i'm seeing here and like the reason you do that and now clarissa this comes into the risk side because margaret that's hamilton. a level of a sh margaret hamilton okay so it was margaret hamilton all right um i'm talking in so a second like, too <laughs> is it a, a, I think it was Margaret Hamilton. I, I could have the wrong name, but I believe it was Margaret Hamilton uh, that, that did that. But, but like what you see right now, one thing you're pointing out is there's a reason that that exists. That exists simply because the practice of software engineering is not like the traditional practice of engineering. I'll say it, it's vendor driven, but I'll put that to the side because I can get in trouble for that one. <laughs> but there's no real standard to assure versus ensure that people have the skills to, like you talked about, like people are gonna have to care. As a professional engineer, like an architect, when I got my house built, I went to an architect. He put a stamp on it. If something happens to my house, if he miscalculated something like that, there's legal liabilities. What I find interesting is a lot of people the name architect and engineer, and like we've gone off like from DPE, and I wanna bring it back down, but like are not liable for the things they put out there, actually quite the opposite. The open source movement has made it such that I'm going to expose you to this and I have no liability to it. Now, I don't want to go into the muddy pit of whether, because it's some of the things that I have with EU and whatnot. I want to stay out of the muddy pit of that one right now. But I just, as you talked about that, like people should care. But you think about it, the proper engineering, not software engineering, the real physical engineering domains have an assurance function that is mandated by the governments to ensure that what they're doing is not a liability to society, yet the software does not have it. I didn't think we'd get that deep in the first, in like in our first episode here. I thought we'd just talk like we'd overlap around build systems or something, but like what you just talked about there is very deep because if you think about like, and I want to get back to fundamentals, like I'm, I'm very big on first principles. Like this is the first principles at the most fundamentals, the most fundamental assumptions here. And, um, Okay, I'm gonna stop. I'm going. I'm going. I'm going a little off track here. But like, Clarissa, I went down a little track. We're talking about. In, we're, we're talking about this, and, and Justin brought this up, and like the things, the things that are coming out. Like, I am at a loss for words on like how to how how to turn this in. But like, I feel like there is a. It's all about risk management. And like, it, from your perspective, what you hear Justin and I talking about right now, and especially from the background in a big corporation, what should how should audit conduct themselves to be a contributing and caring partner in this area? So 
partnership. Um, if I had to sum it up in one word, it's partnership. If you think about internal audits role, they are part of the same organization as developers, as the risk managers, as everyone else in that in that organization. So while they are independent from their reporting structure and they do have to maintain objectivity, their role is to help set that organization up for success. And that's something that a lot of people kind of don't think about unless you're in auditing. Um, a lot of people see the auditors as they're here to tell us everything we did wrong and make sure we're in compliance with things. And really, our job as auditors is to provide that assurance that, Justin, what you and your team are doing and you want this to be working this way, I can bring a fresh perspective and tell you, yes, it is working that way or no, it's not. And here's here's where it's not working. Um, and we also provide value through that uh, advice. So yes, it's working. And it could be even better if you did this uh, because you and your team are in the weeds doing the things. So I really, it is all about partnership because I can't do my job as an auditor without knowing what it is you and your team are doing. You can't do your job as effectively without that fresh perspective saying, taking a step back from things and saying, yes, it's working or, hey, have you thought about this? Uh, so really, Bill, it's, it is all about that partnership. So the, the, just with the developer experience, so developer experience tends to be focused in DevX, tends to be focused on the developer. Clarissa, you talk about partnership. Like, are we missing something in developer experience where it's just so narrowly focused on the developer that it's not developed? Like, is there a difference between the developer and the development or versus mint? experience or i mean are we hitting on something here what are your thoughts on that uh definitely yeah so i mean i think you just you you said it for i don't never heard it put that way before but like the the, the process of creating software is multidisciplinary and involves lots of departments beyond the folks who are just you know taking the raw material code and, and creating throughput from it with some sort of application um, that partnership has traditionally been difficult. I want to go back to something you said, Bill, because I just had this conversation actually, that in, in any other industry, there are requirements for things like continuing education, right? Or making sure that you're keeping your licenses up to date, right? These, these things are just realities. And, and somehow we've been able to lazily skirt around it. I mean, we've gotten away with a lot. Let's be clear. Okay. I mean, like over the last couple of decades, software has become, you know, the king queen maker, right? And and as a result and it's happened really quick. And 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 we we skipped past a lot of other stuff I think because uh, digital mm, velocity moves so quickly, right? I mean, we we're not we're not constrained by the physical world in the ways that so many other industries are. And I know we're getting down to like the real brass tacks here, but like that's okay, it's fun. You know, I think that because of this, because everybody was so enamored of what we could do, and because it's hard, and I, I, one of my favorite comparisons to make is like the Pythagorean school of geometry in ancient Cretone in 600 BC, and people who write code now. Because the school of sacred geometry in 600 BC was esoteric knowledge that not everyone could understand, but was chiefly responsible for creating infrastructure, aqueducts, an entire civilization and an infrastructure for that civilization, but very few people actually understood the nuance of it. Now, this was exploited. Pythagoras died in exile. A lot of people don't know that his life ended very tragically, right? That the nobility in Cretone wanted to know what the hell was going on in that school, and Pythagoras wouldn't tell them. And it actually split his school into like two 
inner circle, outer circle to try to like, you know, obfuscate what was happening in there in, in a lot of different ways. And he was run out of Cretone, died in exile, like half his school was murdered, all because he refused to tell people about what was really going on with geometry. So now you, you fast forward now, what do we have? We got infrastructure that people love. We got, we got, we're sharing a billion cats a day on our phones. It makes people really happy. But in order to do that, we had to build this whole infrastructure. And, 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 and despite the fact that, you know, we've gone through that everyone should learn how to code. No, they shouldn't. And, and like everyone should be a developer. No, they really shouldn't. Like all this stuff, you still have a small core of people, despite it being 70% of the global GDP digitally transformed now, uh, still a small group of people. So, so no, Bill, I, th I think we're hitting on something very important here. I think we've been able to, in this industry, skip past a lot of stuff, a lot of cruft and boring stuff that, that other people haven't had to skip past. As a result, the software development organization sits at a different lunch table than other parts of the business. And because of that, there, there's, there's often this, uh, I don't know, friction to, to, to being able to break those silos down because of just the, the stark difference in, 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 in what we do in our day-to-day -day work. Okay. I probably just pissed a lot of people Boom. off. Sorry about that. <laughs> I mean, we're not worried about that. I do that on a daily basis. Uh, hello, I'm, I'm an auditor. <laughs> All right, I'm in good company. Like, but like what you just said there, it is, so like developer experience. So is we, when we talk like the foundation of like Clarissa and like in, in your movement with the developer experience is we're talking about a lot of this is like a lot of people moving in an unconstrained way. And I can hear a lot of like Luddites and other people in the background like, yeah, if we were constrained, we wouldn't have this level of innovation. Let's yeah, put that aside. Sure, let's, just, sure. let's just look at for what it is, right? It's a lot of unconstrained movement that moves very quick. It brings value, but also there's a counter side where it brings like the third, as you said, the third largest, um, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, what was decentralized global GDP, yeah. yeah. Yeah, decentralized global GDP as as a, as, a, as a counterforce to it, right? Which is interesting. And like we start thinking about auditing insurance, like every her developer experience, and like part of our goal is to work with or work with the community to say, all right, how can you change the way tech and audit tech and GRC interact? It almost feels like we're getting to something here. I'm not quite sure what it is, but through something like developer productivity engineering. Mm -hmm. The developer experience, I'll use this term development experience as well to bring the other people in. Like, like it. I, I mean, how does, like, I'm going to put it back to you two, Klish and Justin, because, like, what I love is great about this is in, in the pre-show we're talking about this. Justin doesn't have a big, Justin has a background, but not a, correct me if I'm wrong, one, um, you, of course, you have a background writing software, but as far as writing really highly regulated software, you've been tangential to that. Is that, is that true. pretty Very correct? True. Yes. Yeah. And Clarissa has been tangential to the actual process. You, if I if I remember the history right, was it about four or five years ago? Your first touch with technology is when you became the auditor for the IT group at one of the companies you work for. Is that is that yep. correct? So up until like yep. four yeah, or I have five no years technology ago. background. I've been in the technology audit role for five years, and that's my been my technology. Wow. So it enables me to ask these really dumb questions that <laughs> that we asked like, in the pre-show and everything. That's bold, though. That's awesome. <laughs> it's a big world. It's it's that's, that's awesome. Yeah, learn new so, things every day. Yeah, but harmonious. divergent experiences, harmonious, but divergent experiences. Like, how would you both solve? Let's say the problem to solve is that seven trillion dollar decentralized mm. GDP. How between developer experience and auditing with agility, can we better solve this such that like we can at least try to maintain the value creation of unrestricted uh, of the we'll call it the Pythagorean situation, right? How do we maintain the unrestricted Pythagorean situation benefits 
while reducing or, or while reducing the negative side effects so like make take that from seven trillion to like ideally like to be zero but we know like that that will never be happen reality so like how do you reduce that significantly such that it's not a you know a significant global topic i'm, I'm going to pass it over to you two like how how like, let's let's solve world hunger right now go for it clarissa <laughs> oh no 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 well, I'll, I'll start with my part of it. Talk, um, talk, talk and, about and being put on the spot. Right. All right let's see. What can we do here? No, there's no problem. No problem. This ain't no Bill, thing. Well, your payback's on, coming. Uh, <laughs> what is it? 10 o'clock on a Wednesday? It's time. Oh, it's Thursday. <laughs> even. So, yeah, I don't even know what day it is. How are we supposed to solve this problem? So, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's Friday Eve. <laughs> <laughs> to Friday Eve. I like that. Um, so let me talk about that from the developer experience part first and then Clarissa you please fill in all keep me honest around the auditing stuff because I you know I know some yep. stuff I I mean one of the first uh business software I had to work on was billing software for what would become a Sarbanes-Oxley compliant company but this was like 20 years ago so um so so what ends up happening is that there ends up being some sort of automation technology solution something that 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 automates this this process of scanning auditing and then creating the artifact that shows okay here 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 were the things that came into the artifact or here here were the pieces of software that that went in and 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 now that we have this bill of materials we can call ourselves compliant with the way that we created this artifact what automation usually ends up meaning is that the onus gets put back on the developer right mm -hmm. some some somehow some way the developer is going to have to be responsible for some new thing and like we mentioned earlier, uh, with the White House mandate, the executive order, uh, there is again now the possibility that the developer could be held personally liable for knowingly releasing. Uh, now there's a whole legal, you know, quagmire of knowingly releasing and that kind of thing. But, um, but and it may not even be interpreted that way. Point is, though, the developers usually going to end up having to do some extra work, extra work that they don't want to do because there's already a bunch of stuff that they have to put up with that they don't want to put up with. And now this is like another thing. And, and most developers, most, not all, don't know or want to know or want to care about these aspects outside of their craft, right? What, what, what makes us tick and what, what we feel very uh, good about is that we're lucky to, to do this thing that we love to do, which is write code. Uh, it makes our brain feels good and we, we, it's exciting and we like the feedback and, and all these things. So the last thing we want is some additional piece of toil to take us away from the, the work that we actually enjoy doing. Now, I said before, we're a very spoiled crew, right? Oh, I'm sorry, there's aspects of work you don't enjoy? Wow. You know, but the truth is there is so much money in this industry and so many options for developers that, yes, good engineers really don't have to do any of the crap that they don't want to do. And they'll just walk and go to another company if, if the experience is that bad. Which comes back to our opportunity for DPE and why this is part of also a talent and retention story. Now, what can we do? So regardless of whether developers want to or don't want to do this, and if the mandate comes out and maybe it will and now we're personally responsible for this stuff, we are going to have to think about it. We are going to have to do this. Developer productivity engineering is a nice foil to this, right? So it's like, all right, I might have to introduce a couple new steps to the software packaging process or the build, or you have to use some new library or some new auditing plugin or something. But on the flip side, we're going to reduce your build speed from 15 minutes down to 30 seconds. So you're still going to end up way in the black here in terms of the overall additional toil that is part of your job, right? So, so this though, and, and Clarissa to your point earlier about partnership, right? Mm -hmm. This is an avenue. This is something that if this mechanism is well understood by both parties 
it can become leverage to say, okay, well, developers, I know you're not super happy about doing this, but guess what? We're throwing in DPE practice. So actually your overall toil and frustration is going to go down. And going back to partnership, um, Justin, you mentioned silos earlier as well. Um, go, and go back to partnerships, break down those silos. And like I just mentioned that I don't have a background in tech, but I audit technology. I don't need to know everything about technology. That's what the developers and the technology product, product owners do. I leverage their knowledge. And it's not that I know nothing about technology. I'm just never going to know as much as an engineer on whatever it is that we're auditing this, this day or this month. Um, and same with, I don't, ex I wouldn't expect the developers to know everything about what are the regulatory requirements and, and what are all of these other pieces that they need to know. But I do expect them to have the conversation with the people that have that. So break down the silos, partner, not just with auditors, but I also don't know all the, all the regulations either. It's another kind of misconception about auditors is that we're all compliance. We know the laws. We know all of these things. Not necessarily. That's what the compliance function is for. So that's where bringing in kind of the, your GRC and risk partners are. Uh, so creating a partnership with all of the people who have those unique strengths, that unique piece of knowledge to where you get the entire picture together. And yes, the developer is still going to be accountable for things that they're probably not thrilled about, but they're not having to do it alone. They have that knowledge from those other individuals and can bounce things off of them. And, hey, I'm doing this. How does that match with what this requirement is? And internal audit, you, what, what fresh perspective do you have and what am I not thinking about or how could I do this even better? Uh, so really, yeah, partner with people across the organization that have the strengths that you don't have uh, and absolutely break down those silos. I think it's really interesting that you bring up this subject of like, not all auditors know every bit of the audit law, like just like any, any lawyer doesn't, couldn't hope to understand all of law that's ever been written. But the same is true for development. This is interesting. Cause like, these are some like human, maybe, maybe empathetic uh, anchors. I don't like uh, where, because uh, as developers, most of us are not polyglot developers, or if we are, we know maybe three or four languages, but there's some assumption, you know, like, like for instance, one of the funniest things is when somebody expects me to be able to fix their iPhone because I've been doing software development. I have no idea how an iPhone works. I'm an Android guy. I've never owned an iPhone in my life, right? I have my Mac, right? It's a little different, right? But they just expect, oh, you should know how to fix this. I don't know. It's an Android. I don't know anything about it, right? But, but it's the same thing, right? There's, mm -hmm. there's a multiple galaxies of information out there about this industry and, 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 and all of us, even the best of us, even, even the very best of us only have a, a, a patch that, that, that mm -hmm. we really understand. Yep. Makes it this far. And she'd be like, and I was talking to somebody the other day about like, can you write the, can you, oh, and it, I was using my, like, I have an iPhone, so I know nothing about an Android. And I was doing some of the apps like, can you, and it was even on my iPhone, like, how do you do this? And I'm like, just because I write the software doesn't mean I know how to use other people's software. It's <laughs> true too. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. something like, I feel like I, I, you're probably running too short in this conversation for it. Uh, do, 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 but the Webner Fechner laws, you were talking about something here. And it's it's a it's a W B E R F E C H N E R. There's there there there's something for a future conversation. I'm not mm -hmm. going to think out loud on this one because it's completely not there. But check out the Weber Fechner law. And as you're talking about developer experience, especially some of the stuff with auditing with agility, I wonder how some of this stuff plays in. Um, 
because basically what you talked about with the change of the car, like looking at it differently instead of the driver, and you're looking at the car and the environment, Weber Fechner is basically uh, uh, thinking about how human perception, more specifically the relation between actual change and physical stimulus, are in the perceived change. Yeah. Yeah. So like, for example, this is the, like the famous economic thing in this. And as you're talking through this, we're talking about cooperating. There's also like the different backgrounds and the perspectives. Um, and somehow I feel like this all fits in together where like, Justin, we're going to say, for example, you are a multi-billionaire, right? And you have just been given a like million that. dollars. Yeah. You're a multi-billionaire. You, you've just been, you've just been <laughs> given a million dollars. Most likely you're going to be like, okay, that's cool. But like, you're not going to have a big stimulus. Whereas like Clarissa, Clarissa does extremely well. But all of a sudden, you know, it's not multi-billion, but somebody gives her a million dollars and like, it's going to be woof. And it's the difference is like, you both got the same amount of utility, one million dollars. But the perceptual difference is huge. You have a lower perceived difference than, of course, there's a higher perceived difference. So I feel like a lot of something we're talking about here, like, it's just thinking through, like, there's a Weber Fechner law. So, no, for me, it's like when I here, find five bucks in my jeans, you know, it's like the same thing. It's like, holy crap, that makes my whole <laughs> week. You know what I mean? <laughs> if you have been doing laundry, if I find it, I keep it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> See, like, you like a present to your future self, just start, like, randomly stuffing $20 <laughs> bills in, like, your jean pockets. Like, let's start doing that. With you know, a little note that says, day. you're. Exactly. Self-care. Justin, well, you mentioned something earlier when you were first describing some of the goals of DPE. You said um, things like empathize with um, with the pains, even those that we've forgotten were actually pains. So developers would be like, yes, this is a pain, um, but just nodding our heads like, yeah, we know we have to deal with that anyways. One of those pains for some, if not most, developers is probably audit. Mm. Um, and I... I don't, I can imagine somebody, yep, here come the auditors. Yeah, we know this is, we're going to have to do this. Um, but I I would love to get people to start thinking of it instead of this is a pain that we have to deal with, uh, but switch that mindset to not even just, yes, the auditors are coming. How can we have them help us alleviate some of these other pains? Uh, but being proactive and calling them, again, proactive risk management, proactively calling the auditors of we are going through this change or we've been dealing with something that has been a, a struggle. Can you come in and help us with those things? So I, I see a lot of similarities and some of those foundational elements that you were talking about with developer productivity engineering and the auditing with agility uh, movement and, and GRC movement. No, totally. There's something here. I think there's a there's an opportunity maybe to reframe, right? Because it's like, uh, for instance, I mean, a lot of developers don't know this story about the mm -hmm. the global decentralized network of cyber criminals, and like, and then and then even further, like we say that word cyber criminal, but it just conjures up this very harmless and innocuous image of some like hacker in a hoodie. But that that's not the truth at all. Like, I mean, we really are talking about organized crime. We are talking about state level, you know, regime level bad actors, you know, in these, in these situations. So I think like, first of all, raising awareness about the, 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 the problems, the, the deeper, uh, and maybe more globally impactful problems that are being solved by auditing. I just, I think that, you know, I mean, developers are smart people. We are reasonable people. We just happen to be myopic. We happen to be, have a lot of tunnel vision. It, it helps us in the way that we do our job, you know? Uh, I mean, there's, there's a whole class of stimulants out there that just help you with your tunnel vision that are marketed specifically to developers to be more myopic, to be better at your job, right? I mean, it's like there, there's a whole industry around this, right? So, like, um, uh, I think that 
reframing it to like, no, 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 no. We're, we're helping you fight the bad guys, right? Like we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're in this together in a partnership to make sure that people, this craft that you love so much isn't exploited by the worst actors in society. I think you could start there and yeah. appeal to people's lizard brain a little bit. And, and then say, let, let's, let's, do, let's do this together. Let's go be good guys together. And then, I mean, you, I, I, this conversation has been, has been enlightening for me. I, I had, you know, I'd, I've never thought about the fact, because I am one of those. We're like, oh, you're an auditor. You must know everything about it. Well, it's just how it is, because nope. just, it's, just, it's just a relevancy. <laughs> but this is how the human mind works, right? We compartmentalize yep. things. We stereotype. Like, it's, it's part of how we are efficient, right? Um, but now this has broken this down. I have this weird interest now in how complex this law might be because it reminds me of the fact that I love learning about complex things, right? Even though this is different than what I do in my day to day. I think there are some very human inroads that have just maybe not been explored between, you know, the, these two parts of the industry. But if we actually get to talking, we have quite a bit in common and, uh, and we're solving really difficult Gordian problems together. And, uh, and we're doing it for a really virtuous reason. So let me ask this so then to wrap this up on the, on the, on where you're going with there, I'll ask both of you. So what are our listeners? Three things, Justin, uh, actually Clarissa, I'll start with you one with Justin. So Clarissa, based on what you have there, what are three things you think our auditing and GRC community members could do to better cooperate and draw things like, I mean, we talk about developer experience, but what could they do? Um, to then basically, I mean, is it helping developers be my moropic or basically, or on the other side of reducing the negative side effects of, uh, myopathy from the development aspect and stealing your words there. So like closing out, what are three things you, you think that the auditing organization could do and GRC, um, to help? So empathize, I think overall would just bring, be, bring the human element to it. So empathize with your clients. Um, should be vulnerable. So let them know we don't know everything and we don't expect you to know everything either. And then partner. So really look for that that partnership opportunity. Recognize that we are humans. We have our, our different strengths, uh, but we are much stronger if we partner together rather than if we try to go about this in our in our separate silos. All right. I like that. Empathize and partner. Justin. For developers and the tech staff listening, listening, what do you think three things they can do, especially through the lens of developer experience and DPE, that could help them bridge the gap and become more productive, like a one plus one equals three with their GRC and auditors? Wow. Yeah. So I think like first, we, we talked earlier about trying to come up with some sort of arbitrage around like, okay, you're, you're, you're spending more time over here doing this thing, but we can reduce your overall load. I think making sure that we're framing this as like part of a fuller conversation that we are we are adding a responsibility, but we're also taking away things that you don't like to do to try to make up for that. I think that we should we should. So I don't know what you would call it arbitrage, maybe. Um, and then like uh, so so number two, I would say, <laughs> and this is this is an indictment, uh, but uh, but I'll say it about myself, right? Um, w- we have a toxic mentality that may not be held by every individual member of the industry, but that collectively is held. That somehow. We really feel that at the end of the day, we probably could solve every single problem in the entire galaxy using some kind of software somewhere, which means that at the end of the day, we could do anything, really, <laughs> if we wanted to. But that's very Dunning-Kruger, 
It's very false. <laughs> and it's also a little bit toxic. And so I would say I think it's a good thing for anybody in this industry to remind yourself that you are part of a team, right? Uh, whether you want to be or not. Uh, down to the folks who make sure that your paycheck gets into your bank uh, every week so that you can buy your video games or do all the great things that you like to do. So uh, I would say maybe pull off that pedestal a little bit. And, and I'll say it about myself, right? I, I, I have to catch myself. Uh, there are times where I'm like, oh, I could use an app to solve it. No, you can't. No, you can't. That's a problem that if it was that easy, the problem would be solved already. So, uh, and then finally, um, I, I would say, uh, I would, I would, I would echo the third one, uh, that, that those two things will, will make partnership a lot easier. So. I like it. The Valley colored glasses. I'll just, I'll just leave it there. Oh, it's Sometimes great. just tip those Valley colored glasses up. Mm. Um, Justin, thank you very much for your time today. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, yeah, thank you. A, this was great. A lot of our folks that want to follow you. LinkedIn, Twitter, what's the best way, what, what, what's the best way to keep up to date with what Justin's doing these days? LinkedIn's the best right now. Yeah. Uh, Twitter X, all those things. We're all trying to figure out what we're going to do with that. But, but LinkedIn has been, you know, that's solid. And, and I've always been on the, the, the sell outside of this anyway. So that's fine. <laughs> no. Um, so, but LinkedIn is easy. And then uh, I, we, we haven't, we didn't talk about this uh, yet, but, but my last day uh, at Gradle was actually last week. Uh, very, very proud of what we've been able to do around building an advocacy team and a message that I think is really scalable. Um, and and we, we did that. I came in to do what I wanted to do, which was, can we, can, we, can we coalesce this into something that we could scale out using a team? We did that. We built the team. They're out doing it. It's great. Uh, I can't talk about where I'm going yet, but please stay tuned. Uh, it, is, it is within this productivity and experience space, and I, I really can't wait to, to announce it. I'm very excited about it. So. Well, congratulations. Right. More to come for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody, thank you. And again, I'm Bill. I'm going to try this outro. I'm, oh, there we go. And here's our tagline, right? Be a freak. Be a freak, not a foe. There we go. <laughs> I thought we were going to say that together. <laughs> Here, we'll try it on the count of three. Ready? One, yeah, we're gonna do it like, one, two, three. Be a, Be freak. a freak, not a foe. Not a foe. That there we go. <laughs> oh, I feel honored.